What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Compassionate Viking Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Stanaway. In today's episode, we have a revisiting guest, Chris Packney. He's the one who's working with We The Medicine. He's the retired U.S. fighter jet pilot. And we've been in contact with each other. We've, we've been building our relationship and... No, he he says that as a retired guy, he's he's kind of bored. He's having a hard time finding like-minded people, and so I said, "Hey, why don't you come up and we'll fucking hang out for the day and see where it goes, and then we'll podcast." And he was like, "Roger that." So, thanks to Chris for coming up and being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for relaying your powerful message of love and healing and positive vibration to the world. And I believe that he's going to be more of a regular. Maybe not, you know, every single week or anything like that. But that will not be the last time that he's on the podcast. So, we are going to get into the Viking tip of the day. Of the week, actually. And we're going to go back to an herb and we're going to pick chamomile for this week. Now, most of you guys have probably heard of chamomile. It's in many, many different types of teas. Usually I see it in the sleepy time tea. So chamomile probably probably isn't the best type of tea to drink when you're waking up or if you want energy. It's usually sedative and relaxing. So let's get right into it. It says chamomile is commonly used as an herb. It is a calming plant and has sedative properties. It is in the daisy family. It says, the edible use, says, I collect both flowers and leaves for medicinal use, but the flowers make the best tea. The flowers have an apple-like flavor and the leaves have a grassy flavor. You can make a nice liqueur with dried chamomile flowers and vodka. Medicinal use. Chamomile is most often taken as a tea, but it may also be taken as a tincture or as a dried encapsulated herb. It helps with digestive issues. Chamomile relaxes the muscles, including the digestive muscles. This makes it a good treatment for abdominal pain, indigestion, gastritis, and bloating. It is also used for Crohn's disease and irritable bowel syndrome. Kali. Chamomile is known to be safe for use with babies. Adding a cup of tea to the baby's bath at night soothes colic and helps with sleep. Muscle aches. The antispasmodic action of chamomile relieves muscle tension. It soothes aching muscles and body aches. It helps with insomnia. It says chamomile is soothing and sedative. One cup of chamomile tea tea, taken at bedtime during the night helps with sleep. If more help is needed, use a tincture. Eye wash, conjunctivitis, and pink eye. For eye problems, try an eye wash made by, by dissolving 5 to 10 drops of chamomile tincture in some, boiled and cool, in some boiled and cooled water or by making a strong chamomile tea. This mixture relieves eye strain and treats infections. I often pair it with other herbs like yarrow and usnea. It helps with asthma, bronchitis, whooping cough, and congestion. Use a steam treatment for congestion. Add two teaspoons of chamomile flower petals to a pot of boiling water. 
Inhale the steam until the phlegm is released. Or add two to three drops of chamomile essential oil to a vaporizer and use it overnight. For allergies and eczema. For allergic conditions including itchy skin and eczema, try chamomile essential oil. The steam distillation process alters the chemical properties of the remedy, giving it an allergenic properties. Or giving it anti-allergenic properties. Dilute the essential oil in a carrier oil to use directly on the skin or inhale it. When harvesting it, it is best to harvest chamomile during its peak blooming period. I prefer to pick chamomile in the late morning, after the dew has evaporated, and before the real heat of the day. Select flowers that are fully open and pinch or clip the head off at the top of the stalk. Dry for future use. Now there is a warning. While it is uncommon... Some people have an allergic reaction to chamomile. People with allergies to the daisy family, including ragweed and chrysanthemums, should not take chamomile. So, a little chamomile tea says one to two teaspoons of dried chamomile flowers or leaves in one cup of boiling water. Pour the one cup of boiling water over the chamomile flowers or leaves and then let the herb steep for five to ten minutes. Then strain. So... One of the things that I didn't know that I do know now is when I was making these teas, I was taking my herbs, throwing it in the pot, boiling it for five to 10 minutes. I forgot about it. We'll say 15 minutes, but somewhere in that range and then drinking it. But what I found is when you're boiling the herbs itself, you're killing all of the nutrients and minerals. So that's not beneficial. What you have to do is you have to boil the water and then pour the water over the herbs and let that steep. So, fun little fact for you guys. Also, chamomile grows wild all over the Pacific Northwest. I've seen it all over my yard. Um, The other day when I got out of the car at the gym out in Lake Stevens, my daughter goes, hey, Dad, there's chamomile growing right here. And I said, really? She points down in the gravel parking lot and points to some chamomile growing out. So pay attention, go online, look at what chamomile looks like. It only gets like, I don't know, not very tall, maybe a foot max. And then it has these little tiny flowers that look like daisies. They're little tiny white flowers with um, a yellow, you know, little ball in the middle of the flower. It looks like a daisy, just really, really small. So check it out. Let's start making our making our own medicine and herbs. And I believe that that is a one step in the right direction. So before we get on the podcast, I would like to give a big shout out to Tobin Folk out at Training Northwest. He's in Granite Falls. He is a great buddy of mine. He is an elite firearms instructor. He's doing classes from basic beginner all the way up to experienced firearms or veteran uh, combat veterans please if you need to know more safety want to get better at using your firearm more proficient with self-defense go to trainingnorthwest.com and look at the schedule and start enrolling in some of these firearms classes this is first class education in one of the most essential areas of, of 
for humans right now. You know, a lot, most humans are not very equipped at self-defense. And just because they went and bought a gun, now they think they, they can take on the world and that they'll prosper in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> event, which is simply not true. So, if you're up in the Pacific Northwest and you want to get some more f- training when it comes to firearms, go to Training Northwest. I'll link it in the show notes below and check them out. Now, at the same time, if you're not in the Pacific Northwest and you're in the Midwest, I want you guys to go out to NFS Shooting Supply. That stands for No Fucking Slack. And George is out there whom I've met over Instagram. He's also another salt-of-the-earth dude who is putting out great product. As well as Training Northwest, he out of NFS also has top-tier instructors, special forces instructors who are training anyone and everyone how to become more efficient, more proficient, and have more confidence in their self-defense and firearm training. So whether you're up here in Washington or you're out in Colorado, please go check them out. And the last thing about NFS Shooting Supply is... They are a firearms dealer as well. So you don't need to be in the area of Colorado to to receive a firearm from them. You simply contact them. They will find any firearm you could ever dream of. They have every accessory you could think of, whether it's suppressors, whether it's magazines, whether it's you know holsters or belts or plate carriers or ammunition or different butt stocks or foregrips they have optics like it doesn't matter they have it all so make sure you go out there call them they'll find whatever it is you know like i said before i got a glock 19 fde which is a rare version of the glock 19 and they had it sent out from colorado to washington in like less than 48 hours so that's very hard to beat and i prefer to give my business to other American men who are trying to bring back manufacturing and bring back our ability to build our own stuff within our country. You know, Cabela's, Dick's, all that, all those big sporting goods stores, they're, they're owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. And although they might have the same, the same stuff within the store, I would much rather spend my money on other small business American-made companies who are trying to prosper, thrive, and and build up their family, friends, and community. To me, that is the next logical step, and that is one of the solutions of getting out of the pigeonhole where we're, we're stuck buying shit from China and at the mercy of whatever the, the big box stores and the corporations say. So check them out. It's Training Northwest LLC here in Washington State. That's NFS Shooting Supply, which is the no fucking slack company out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I really hope that we get into the details of what's going on because in my opinion, the devil is in the details. And if you learn the details, you will start to hone in your warrior spirit. Let's get on with the show, boys and girls. I didn't forget about you.
boys and girls. <laughs> I love you guys. Okay, guys, we're here. We're here with my buddy Chris Packney. He's back for a second time. Chris, thank you very much for coming up. Um, when you got here, it was real early this morning, and you helped me out on the pass for forest school. We had some fires, and you chopped some shit down, made a little bit of a waddle fence. And I want to thank you for that, because that's paying it forward for you know the, the ones yet to come. Absolutely. And in the meantime, since you're here, you're a very knowledgeable man. You're someone I can sit down, look eye to eye with, and not feel l- like I have to hold back because whatever your thoughts <laughs> of me are going to be, you know, yep. I feel like I can just say whatever it is that I truly feel, and I don't feel any type of, type of judgment, even if we don't agree. Fuck, I wouldn't. Ex- I wouldn't even think that we would agree on every single thing. You're not a clone. No, I you're not a Tyler yeah. Stanaway clone. You know, you're your own person. So I, I'm forever grateful for that. In the meantime, while we're here, we're going to get into podcast and wherever that takes us. We don't have any particular topics, but we have been kind of bullshitting <laughs> all, all morning about everything going on in the world. The stuff that I typically talk, talk about, but I really want to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of some of the shit going on. Absolutely. Because, like I said earlier downstairs, until people really grasp what's going on, like really grasp it and understand the details behind it, they won't be able to harness their warrior spirit when they need it most, I think. That's just my opinion. Yeah. But I feel like, for me, looking back during COVID, I did some things that most people would not do. Some thought was extremely brave and courageous. Some people thought was completely out of line, and they don't agree with it at all. But I look at it as I drew a hard line in the sand. And that line, if it was to be crossed, there was going to be consequences for them which I also knew there would be consequences for me too, and I was willing to accept them. But when push came to shove, what kept me from not erasing my line and moving it back, right? Because I had a lot of people that I know who had hard lines too at some point, and I don't know whether the wind blew the line away, whether they went down and swiped it and moved it back. The line was crossed and there was no consequences. And it's not my, it's not for me to tell them what's right or wrong or what they should do. That's their own path in their own life. But as another human, I got to observe people change where that line stands depending on the pressure putting down on them. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm getting at is that for you, for, For me to harness the warrior spirit, no matter the amount of pressure that comes down on me, I have to have a legit fucking reason, a real, real reason to put it all on the line up to death for my family, friends, whatever it is. And what is that? 
for me, it's the nuts and bolts of the agenda. I understand whether it's going to happen or not. I don't know. But at least I know what they want. And to me, it's like, because I know the nuts and bolts of that, that's where I draw a line. And it's like, yeah, we're not crossing that. Because if it gets crossed, it'll, I don't know that it would ever go back. Yeah. So let me just ask you this. What was the first thing that you can remember that got you thinking that there was some alternative or not, it doesn't even have to be nefarious at the time, just an agenda that didn't coincide or align with what was perpetrated towards you. Oh, let's see. For me, the the most glaring one was nine 11. Um, I mean, I would, I was eating, Coming out of the Marines, I was at E5. I had been in for six years already. I was in college at the time, going through ROTC to go into the Air Force to fly jets when 9-11 happened. <clears throat> and like everybody else, I, I believed exactly what I was told and exactly what the narrative was. How old were you then? Uh, let's see. I was, I was born in 78, so whatever 2001 was, so 23-ish, 24. Mm-hmm. Um, mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got older, and I remember, like we talked about earlier, like there were people who would talk about 9-11 truthers and conspiracy theorists nuts, and I hated them, viscerally hated them. Like I, I thought they were anti-American and, and retards. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking into it, and I was like, once, once that box was open and I realized what had happened, as much as, as revolting as it was, like it opened, it made me a lot more curious about other things. Like, like there's other possibilities that exist here other than the official narrative that I've been told. So that for me was the first big one. What do you remember what it was that you were like, that's like caught your attention or. Yeah. So I had some initial questions like, like obviously we saw what we were supposed to see, but then I've also seen airplanes hit by birds and seeing what a bird will do to a front of a 757. Like it, like the, the skin on an airplane is, is extraordinarily thin. It's aluminum. Mm-hmm. And just like a soda can, it's rigid and, and it has pressure to it. But if you dent in the side of a soda can, the whole thing will crumple in on itself. And if you take a goose or, you know, any, a large bird and you put it into the nose of an airplane going 300 miles an hour, it smashes it in. So you want me to believe that this aluminum tube cut through these steel I-beams all the way through the concrete reinforced core of this building? I find that hard to believe. And then somehow the fire melted all the beams and it collapsed within its own footprint, which all of those things would be questions. But hands down, like for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, there were three buildings that collapsed on 9-11 in New York City. And World Trade Center number seven collapsed. And there was a BBC reporter talking about that building collapsing 20 minutes before it collapsed. It's in the background over her shoulder before they lost the feed and couldn't connect to her anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And if you watch, if you watch the video of that building quote unquote collapsing, you see the demolitions go off and it collapses into its own footprint. The building right next to the two world trade centers that was never hit by an airplane collapsed as well. And do you know what was housed in that building? I do. (laughs) Go ahead. Look. It was uh, emails, right? It was uh, all the documentation. Document, all the documentation. All the documentation of Hillary Clinton. Um, Everything. All her bad juju. Yeah, all the bad juju. And then, uh, shockingly enough, Oklahoma City was very similar. Yeah. Very similar to that. And I believe, 
something also happened with like an exchange of money between some high ranking people like the day before. Well, the Pentagon, uh, Donald Rumsfeld came out and said like the Pentagon couldn't account for like some ungodly like trillions yeah, of yeah. dollars the day before on, on September 10th comes out, hey, the Pentagon can't find $2 trillion. Next day, 9-11 happens. And oh, by the way, the airplane, quote unquote, that hit the Pentagon, hit the accounting office that accounted for that $2 trillion. There's nowhere to ever find that paper trail again, of course, <laughs> by some miracle. We, we can't find it. It was all there. Yeah. <laughs> it all got exploded, 9-11, right? America. You want to hear a funny story about maybe five years ago? Probably five years ago. Me and Vanessa, no, maybe longer than that, maybe like seven years ago. Me and Vanessa had been together for a couple years. And she has a friend who lives in Arkansas now, but was living in Florida or something. Long childhood friends. They grew up together. And she was going to come up and visit. It was going to be the first time that I had met, you know, her friend and whatnot. And so they did. And we met at this cool little restaurant. And it was a good time. But her... Her mother and her, because her mother and her stepmom came with, because they have family up here as well. And the the stepdad, me and him were sitting there, you know, eating food, drinking a beer, and it comes out that he was uh, a rocket scientist, and then something got brought up. I can't remember what it was, and I said, "Okay, you're a rocket scientist," and he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Dude, I have a perfect question for you." I'm a metal worker, and as a blacksmith in particular, I understand the alchemy of metallurgy and the different states it can be in, and depending on how you manipulate this metal, you can, you can make things extremely strong. You can make things really, really tough, which is different than, you know, all this different shit. I said, so if I take a blade, I'm going to make an axe or I'm going to make a sword. I'm going to use a steel with a high carbon content and then it's going to get hot and it's going to get dunked into either oil or water and it's going to get extremely hard, which makes it brittle. Okay. If you dropped it on the ground, it might even shatter as metal, but then I temper it down to a certain temperature, maybe 500 degrees for two hours or something. And now it is not only sharp, but it is, it is also tough it won't just break yeah. right i said so i understand how metal works i understand as a fabricator how steel i-beams work on big giant fucking buildings and you kind of got into this yeah. i said there's metals that are stronger and harder than others and it stays that way forever for instance gold and copper are extremely soft metals precious metals aluminum is soft metal then you have iron, then you have steels and your stainless steels and you can go up into your titaniums and all that different shit. I said, the reason why if you go to the hardware store, you go and get like a carbide drill bit or you get a diamond blade bit is because of the hardness on there. That hardness cuts through everything else. What did you say about the way airplanes are made? Thin aluminum. Thin aluminum tubes. Okay? I don't care how hard, how fast, how, how much... You smash even thick aluminum into I-beams. The I-beam wins every, every time. single time. Every time. Just like my axe wins on the log every single time. 
because steel is harder than wood, and that's just the way it is. This was me way younger thinking about this, like kind of drunk with this rocket scientist. And, the, and I said, and now here's the part that really gets me. Let's say it did blast it, blast it through. Okay, let's let's break what I just said, and let's just. So we're living in a cartoon yeah, physics universe. Yeah, now we're doing fantasy. Okay, and let's say it does blast it off. On a, what is it, eighty stories or some shit like that? that okay, that's a big ass building. If you look at the cedar tree out, outside, if I cut the top off, I don't care if I cut it or I smash it with a cannonball or a plane hits it, it don't fucking fall down. Down, it down doesn't here. collapse into okay? itself. The buildings themselves, unless they were designed at some point to fall on itself, uh, is designed structurally sound to withstand earthquakes yeah. and tectonic well, they, seismic they activity. If you've ever been in a t- the top of a tall skyscraper, it's moving like in the wind j- just a little bit. Yeah. Designed by engineers and architects. Yeah. And, and so as a young... I, w- I guess I wasn't that much younger, but... As a as a young man, I'm sitting here as like a a, a metal worker going, this isn't possible. Yeah. Now the whole story of jihadi hijackers with box knives and, and we found their passports in the rubble. That's right. That's crazy. That's right. Crazy how that worked out. <laughs> Fiery plane wreck, and we found we found it. That yeah. So there's what there's the so odds? many so many questions. I just remember sitting there with yeah. the rocket scientist because he finally. I think he had never thought about it before. The way that he was sitting there, it was total like yeah. puzzled, confused. Light, but I'm li- light, but I'm listening, on, yeah. right? Yeah, but I'm listening. On. And he's like, "Yeah. You're right. You're right." Yeah. And not not just that. I mean, yeah, there's the I-beams, but like rebar reinforced concrete and floors and floors and the elevator cores in the middle and if if you watch the footage frame by frame, it looks CGI. It looks it, look, it looks like like cartoon. And that's it. And so some people say, "Oh, I see the I seen the planes. I was there. I seen them crash in." I've heard CGI. I've heard holograms. I've heard drones. I've heard no planes at all. Like there's a lot of eyewitnesses who just say the building just exploded. There was no planes. There there is footage on the ground, and all that footage has been scrubbed from the internet. You used to be able to find a lot of it, but the stuff that does not fit the narrative, you cannot find no. anymore. And you used to be able to find <clears> it. On YouTube used to have everything, dude. Yeah. In like 2015, 2014, 2016, it was like wild, wild west on there. But not anymore. All of the channels, all the people that I learned all this stuff from, they're gone. gone. They are gone. Memory I don't even old. remember so many of them. Like, memory old. Yeah, I lot. wish I could have, I wish that I could have like downloaded the, or like burned these videos onto DVDs because I don't remember who they were. I just remember being stoned and being like, I need to yeah. tell the world what's going on. And I would try. <laughs> and that would not work out very well. Balls, but the, the fact that that third building collapsed, like that alone should wake people up. If you don't know that there was a third building, that that should raise an eyebrow. That the the owner of the building, just like several months before the, the attack, had taken out an insurance policy for terrorism, specifically for terrorism. And then when it happened, he argued since both buildings were collapsed that it should pay out twice. So he got the biggest insurance payout in the history. Like, huh, man, what a lucky guy, man. He should buy a lottery ticket while he's at it too. Almost like he knew. And he wasn't in the buildings the day they were attacked. Yeah. Funny. Funny how that works. See, and the thing is, 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 uh, 
the Patriot Act was it was it was already on deck. Yeah, they were just looking for an excuse to insert it, and that is called the Hegelian dialect. Yeah. Problem, reaction, solution. That's it, and yeah. and you know it's been around forever, and that's what I see. I guess that can kind of bring us into this topic. You asked me downstairs, downstairs, what I kind of see, foresee in the future, whether like you know, what do I think is going to go on, and it ultimately comes back to the the Hegelian dialect for them. I know that they're going to create another problem and whether that's, you know, the, the, the breakdown of the grid or the, the cyber attack or, a, or a new virus or another climate lockdown. Not, I guess there wasn't one, not another climate lockdown, but another lockdown for whatever reason. Yeah. For whatever reason. I don't really know, but I know that they love to create problems whether they're natural or or artificial, yeah, or or real or imagined, that, yes, yeah, real or fake, yeah. Either way, they get a re- they know the reaction of the public, or if they don't, they do it and then they see and they they, they capitalize they on capitalize it. on it. They come up with a solution and they'll get it to the point where the people are desperate. And I mean, look, look at just take the 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 pandemic. It got to the point where people were desperate. They wanted to go back to normal, whatever normal was. They got to the point where people were willing to fight you. People were willing to burn down buildings. People were build, were willing to, like, dude, just fucking take the jab. Take it so that we can go back to work. Like, I'm sick and tired of... All of this. Don't you want to hang out with your friends, Chris? Yeah. Don't you want to hang out with... Don't you want to go back to hiking and fucking going down? Like, we got to take the jab. And it's like that they got you. Because when you're desperate, you'll take anything. Yeah. But they are the ones who come in with the solution. They're the ones... They created the problem. And now they're offering you this. They they poisoned you. And now they're giving you the anecdote. And you're supposed to be grateful for it. Yes. And and go about your life like nothing happened. And people have been falling hook, line, and sinker, yeah. but I think we are waking up. I, I pray so. I, 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 I think so. <laughs> we are waking up. I, I hope so as well. I just, I think this is what needs to happen. I think that we do, they're going to create a problem. That's To me, that's kind of out of our hands. You don't get to control the enemy. We do jujitsu. When we're in the fight, I can, I can gain control of you, but I don't have full control over you. You're still your own entity, yeah. right? But I can predict. So th- I know that they're going to fight at some point in time. They're going to create a problem, whether real, imaginary, fake, artificial, natural, whatever it is, we're going to get a reaction. When it when we get to the point where I can observe and look around and see the, the general reaction of the public, we need to create our own solution. Yeah. We don't accept their solution. Their solution is going to further us down dystopian nightmare. Our solution is going to be based in reality and logic and reasoning. And it's going to actually solve answers. But we have to do that. Yes. And like that's where I, I have the big questions is like how, how do we enact that? Because when, when the, the, the CBDCs come online and they don't like your politics and guys like you and me have our bank accounts frozen. So we can't buy gas. We can't feed our kids. We can't pay our mortgages. What's our alternative system then at that point? 
It's hard. It is hard. It's really hard. <laughs> do, do you believe that I was asked this question, so I'm going to ask yeah. you and see what your answer is. Do you believe in CBDC? Do, do I believe that it's a thing? Like when you, when you <laughs> believe like they exist, like for better or worse, we kind of already have it already. Like all of your money is ones and zeros. Like, like there are months that go by that I don't handle any cash. So yeah, it's kind of is a digital currency already because everybody uses their card out of convenience, but cash also works. But if you live in a cashless society, somebody can turn off your money at any time they want. And, and it happened in Canada. It's like, we can't say like, oh, that's third world shit. Like it happened in our neighbors to the north. And if you don't think they're keeping track of who you're donating to politically, where you spend your money, what books you're buying at Barnes and Nobles, what, what you're getting off Amazon, if you don't think they know all those things, and if you follow us on the wrong side of somebody's political spectrum. And that's the thing, like people who still play the political game and they think, well, I'm, I'm to the left or to the right or whatever, like no matter what, whether it's left or right, they will keep moving the goalposts. So what, what used to be center all of a sudden is now far right. And which used to be kind of a left wing thing and now seems like it's a centrist position because they keep moving the goalposts. So same thing with the COVID jab, like, yeah, go line up and take the jab, but now you got to get a booster shot. Now you got to get registered. Now you got to do this other thing. And it's like, once it got you to comply the first time, the first compliance check, the second one becomes easier. And, and that's how like master manipulators work at people. They just get that little, that first act of compliance. And then once that that's done, once that barrier is broken, you can get people to commit murder for you. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was an interesting television show. It was a, like a psychology experiment. I don't know if you saw it. And it, like this guy's like kind of a hypnotist, I guess, but they, they set up this like a hidden camera show and it was this celebrity auction and it was like all done out. They had like Ferrari showing up, people in like evening gowns, black tie affair. And they bring in this intern who's helping like set up food or something for the, for the event. And so the coordinator brings him, oh, thanks for your last minute here. Help set up these foods here. And uh, oh, here's a vegetarian tray and here's this one, but we don't have enough vegetarian tray. So just take the flag off this one and call that one veggie and stick it out, even though it's not vegetarian. So they start doing little things like that at the beginning. As the night progresses, like somehow this poor intern who's been brought in to bring out trays to this black tie gala affair finds themselves on the rooftop with the coordinator in some like high, high roller basically who's going to be bidding at the silent auction and they get the person to push them off the building. And they, they had like several people do the show, like three or four people, normal people off the street. And I think every last one of them ended up committing murder at the suggestion of somebody else the night that it was suggested to them. normal people because they just, okay. I said, okay. I said, okay. I said, okay. And now like after a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of little compromises of like, this isn't right. This isn't right. But I've gone this far. I gone this far. Now you're standing at the moral dilemma where this guy is asking you to push somebody off a, a roof of a building and they have this net and this whole safety thing. Like obviously they're not murdering somebody, but the psychology of that is fucking terrifying. When you yes. think of the implications that a normal quote unquote moral person, the average person working next to you, the service clerk, wherever you're at, could be put in a situation like that and induced to murder somebody by somebody else. Like, like people who can manip manipulate others like that are dangerous. And those people are in our media. They're in our academia. They are the ones running this world. They know how to manipulate people in mass. They know human psychology inside and out. And they use those against us with the, the Hegelian dialect. Right? So I, I think the ultimate solution is 
that problem reaction solution thing is next time there's a problem, we just turn off the fucking television and like, it's not my problem. Oh my God, there's some kind of crisis in some third world country. Burp, TV off. Not my problem. That's your crisis. And the more people who start just tuning these things out, like, no, nope, nope. Like the clicks go away. The advertising goes away and they got to try to find something else to get your attention to keep you in that problem cycle. If you start creating solutions in your own life, you start living healthy within a good budget. You're not living paycheck to paycheck. You're taking care of your family. You find some happiness, some spiritual healing, some, some good mental headspace. You don't need that to keep, to feel alive. You don't need to feel like you're constantly bombarded by the world and at odds with everything. What would you say about, what would you say about the fact that inflation is so high and the devalue of our dollars is at an all time high that the price like the price of living is so astronomical that I see someone, anyone under the age of like 30 pretty much yeah. will never ever get to live a life like you had growing up. No. And I see that my, my kids are 18 and 16 right yeah. now. And like, I, I can't imagine them trying to like go out and buy their own house and like live like yeah, yeah, a, a tank of gas is a hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's retarded, man. And so that, I think what's happening is that to me, that's part of this Hegelian dialect yeah. for the push of this central banking digital currency, because at some point they're going to give us a solution. Okay. Yeah. There's a reason why for the first time in anyone, you know, Americans lives that are alive, Never in the history of their lives has the U.S. dollar not been number one in the world. Yeah. My grandma, who's three generations above me, who lives right underneath me, doesn't understand when I say the U.S. dollar because she can't grasp what the fuck's going on. It's out of her realm of, of compatibility. She just knows that she goes to the grocery store and she gets three bags of groceries and it was 300 bucks. Yeah. And is like, what is going on? Yeah. And I... I am trying, like, I try and analyze it to make it to where she can understand. And I'm like, I think, <clears throat> I don't know how pushing our currency over is going to make it any difference. It's still the same value, but I can see that bricks or whatever, it's bricks, I think, B R I C S, yeah, is. I don't even quite understand what it is, but some countries got together and they're China and India and Russia. And they're like, yeah, fuck the U S dollar. We're going to create our own. Right. I think is, isn't, does that, is yeah, it? Yeah. More or less as a competing international currency against the dollar. Okay. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. But if they can make it to where our money isn't worth anything, then we can start to become like how the euro worked. You see how you like you can we can. I'm sure they have some type of. They, I'm sure they have some type of like, what is the word that I'm I'm trying to think of? Okay, prior to the euro, all the countries had their own individual currency. Individual currency, yeah. and then the the. The European Union gets formed, so maybe maybe what I'm trying to say is like a North American Union. Yeah, well, we we kind of ha have that more or less. I mean, if we're, we can like apples and oranges against the like the European model versus us, if you just imagine Europe as like the United States of Europe with a common currency, the United States of America with all of our different states, 
with a common currency. It simplifies things. And however, it, the manipulation that's available. It's the centralization <laughs> to me because it goes back to the invisible yeah. borders and all that stuff. Yeah. I, it, I understand that it creates division when it's like, well, I have a peso, you have a dollar, he has a won, he has a ruby, a ruble or whatever, right? But at the same time, it's the centralization. It's, it's, if it was decentralized yeah. and we were all in charge of it, like ourselves, like, a, like Bitcoin, like Bitcoin. Yeah. But that's another reason why I think the push for CBDC is that, Anything that can't be centralized is deemed bad in in their terms because it's out of their control. If the power rests with the people, then it's not good, right? <laughs> so, so if they can push our currency to where we would accept something else, they can hack our currency, whether it's Russia or China, or shut the banks down or do something. I see the currency as and I, and I don't I don't know the full plan, but I see them using currency as <clears throat> one of their Hegelian dialects towards us, like one of, like a one of their weapons. Yeah, well, it's an economic weapon, absolutely. It, and that's that's how you keep like if a country is is prosperous and free, they, they kind of go hand in hand with each other. And it's tough to control people who who have both things. So if you're portfolio is doing great and you got more business in your private business than you, you can handle and you've got a new truck in the driveway and your kids are going to private schools and you're getting stakes every night like life's fucking good man and you're not going to be controlled by this stuff but if they devalue your dollars so you're scraping by and you're barely making ends meet then when the government comes with its meager handout you're going to fucking take it because you need it to survive and you'll do what you're told to survive because they've stripped everything away from you that made you independent and strong and and healthy and they've made you dependent upon them and then they've made you a criminal or or demonized you if you dare to speak out or say you want something different yeah so i'm gonna try and explain something to you and tell me if this sounds correct okay (laughs) this goes with the devalue the devalue of the dollar and the inflation of the dollar how it happens like what how does that happen how does our our dollar go from it's you know one one dollar equals x amount and this this is my way of explaining it and so correct me if i'm wrong originally a a dollar bill was essentially a receipt it was for the banks you have gold, you have silver, you're traveling around on the railway, railways or whatever, and you want to purchase something that would consist of more than you could take. It, it's not feasible. Yeah. So you go to the bank, you'd ask to withdraw or whatever, you know, 100,000 gold or silver, whatever it is. And then the bank guy gives you a receipt. And then you take the receipt, whatever, and then that bank accepts it. So it's, you know, $1, we're just going to make things simple. Yeah. $1 equals one gold coin. It, it used to say that on, on the dollar bills, like <laughs> like redeemable for, for precious metal. Okay. Then, somewhere along the lines, the Federal Reserve was formed, and they switched from gold to fiat currency. Uh, uh, f- was it frac- a fractal? Fra- fractional reserve banking. Yep. Okay which then it's not backed on gold anymore. 
Then it was, and I don't quite understand how it is like you can, you transfer, uh, you know, a hundred percent of your funds into the bank and then the bank can transfer or can loan out 90% of it with interest. I don't remember exactly yeah. how it works. It, it, it allows a bank to lend out more money than they have deposits for. So, so yeah, so you, you can never pay it back. You can never pay it back. So the bank has say a hundred dollars worth of deposits, but they've made $500 worth of loan. Those $400 don't exist, but it's going to get paid back in each one of those with interest. Well, where does that money come from? Right. It doesn't exist. So the interest. So the interest. There was no interest prior, and it was backed on gold. It was a receipt for an actual precious metal. Interest is debt on your own money. That's it. I'm glad that you said that, because that's something that we can get in there into as well. And so then what happens is if the Federal Reserve prints money then they're making more money than what they actually have so if it was one to one and then you just start printing but you don't have another gold coin or whatever to go with it it becomes two to one yeah and de- three it to it one devalues yes it's, it it's, devalues. A, it's, a, it's a pure su- supply and demand equation. so when we see we're trillions of dollars in debt and then we do stimulus packages and we just start Print making fucking, yeah more. printing trillions more when you print trillions more, you don't actually get trillions more. You devalued what you already had by trillions. Yeah. It's monopoly money, man. It's, it's, it's truly. <laughs> and so trying to explain this, I was trying to explain this, and it's like the best way to, like the money isn't based off of something anymore. Yeah. And then the stock markets are all. It's all rigged. It's all rigged. All. I mean, you could be successful in it, but like don't pretend like it's a free and open market and it's not, not rigged. Um just like everything else, like the systems are the systems they exist. And if you can get into the system and work it for what it is, like you're recognizing what it is, but like, don't pretend like it's honest or this is like the way it should be because it's not, no, it's, it's all a giant scam. Yes. The IRS is a, is a, it's actually in, if we were to be following our true constitution is an illegal entity. Absolutely. The, the federal reserve is an illegal entity. Yes. And they're not, I got in an argument with one of my supervisors one day on a special job because it was tax season and something got brought up and I was like, you know, when are we all just going to stop paying them? If I just do it alone, they, they probably will make an example out of me. I don't know. I have. I, I don't know. I, but I'm. I, from what I'm told, they say they'll come and take everything of mine, arrest me, put me in prison. Okay, but if we if we all just stop paying the illegal entity, then what are they going to do? They, they made it impossible and to do that, though. They did because they withhold it from your paycheck before you <laughs> get your it. paycheck. That's it. So unless you're self-employed, it's yeah. not going to work. See now. They well, go did, I was going to say they did that by design because nobody would pay their fucking taxes if you got a bill at the end of the year and you saw how much you were paying in a one lump sum. Yep. Yeah. See, they 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 got it's, their little. It, it's psychology, man. It is like it, like if if I were still going to play within like the political system, I think one one rule that or a law that should be changed in right and left, I don't care who you are, is that your taxes are only due once a year but yet they're taking taxes out throughout the entirety of the year. So you're basically giving the government an interest-free loan 
because your taxes aren't due till the end, Mm -hmm. but they're already withholding them. So you have an opportunity to make money, make investments, make interest on that money that you're missing out on. And the government is getting to make interest in money on the money. And then if you overpay, they give you some back. But if you had to sit down and write, like write out a a check and and the IRS sent you a bill, you owe $18,904. And it's not coming out of your paycheck 600 bucks at a time. Now here's a one lump sum check. Yeah. And you have to do that. And the tax day should be the Monday before the voting day in, in November. So the day before you go to vote, you should have to sit down at your kitchen table and write out your check to your government for your fucking taxes. And the next day go vote policy. Yeah. That's how it should work. There you go. The true cost of your government <laughs> right there. There you go. So back to my supervisor, what brought it up is that we were arguing about, he's saying that the, that it's a, the Federal Reserve, the IRS is government. It's government. I said, no, it isn't. It's like they're, Federal they're, Express. No, they're, yeah, they're, <laughs> it is not. It is a privately, it's a private, it's a private organization. It's privately owned. Yeah. And he's fucking, no, it is not. It is the part of the government. I said, no, it is not. It is privately owned. It is not part of the fucking government. You would think it was. Yeah. They act they, like they it own is. it. They own it. Okay. But just because they own it, it is, it's a private it's sector. It's yeah. privately owned. It's offshore, dude. Yeah. And, and it's funny that the, the, that building is right next to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Funny. Yeah. The Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve, huh? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's your slave master. Like, yeah. Uh, globally, the, the Federal Reserve, the central banks <clears throat> are what control the planet. Yeah. People who control those banks control everything. They control our politics. They control our 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 destinies, our countries, our nations, our, econo- our economies. Those are the people. Those are the people. This is what I was getting to downstairs that we never got to. And I was like, we need to go podcast about the aliens. Okay, we were talking about Project Blue Beam and all this different shit. I think the alien invasion is happening right now. And I don't believe that it's the gray aliens coming from outer space with big eyes. I think the aliens are the, the people that you just talked about. The ones who own the banks at the highest, highest levels that no one fucking knows. The weird... The the, the aliens are the ones who are... Who are the doing the weird shit to us that we're constantly podcasting about that we're trying to expose right yeah. now. That's alien. That's not foreign to yeah, us. Like a different branch of humanity. Exactly. Yeah. They, to me are the aliens, the fucking Zionist Jewish Jesuit fucking people. I don't know. They're they're. It's not, it's not a, it's not a religion of people. When I say Jew, I'm not talking about your local Jewish person. I'm talking about Zionists. Yes. Zionists are not, <laughs> they, they hide behind Jewish people as a scapegoat. That's why the anti-Semitism and shit is so prevalent. I think even Trump put death penalty in Florida or something. Uh, DeSantis. DeSantis. Yeah, like it, it's convenient to, to hide behind something. So it, it makes you immune from all criticism whatsoever. That's it. So like it's, it's not, it's not racist to say that Jews control the large sector of the banking and the media. It's true. No, that's the truth. Absolute truth. And but, but if you say that, then you get deplatformed or people call you racist or a, a phobe. It's like, like every studio head, every executive in Hollywood is Jewish. They're all connected. It's, it's, it's an open joke. Look, look at how many members of our Congress look at every, like, all the members of, of the president's cabinet for for a population of the world, of, of the American 
population that is about 1%. Like how many people in the U.S. are Jewish? Probably less than a percent. Yeah, Like I'm a sure. 1%. But yet all the highest levels of power across academia, across uh, the banking, finance, media, politics, all occupied by Jewish people. They've been very successful. That doesn't right or wrong, but like there's something there. There is. And to point that out and to say, that's 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 odd or different, or I noticed that doesn't make you in anything other than somebody who can draw dots together. Yeah, but I've noticed that's a really taboo thing. Like for me to even come out and say like these Jewish Zions, like I said, I have no problem with Jewish. You do you. I, well, I Even within Israel, like I have, I have quite a few friends that are from Israel and, and, and some connection there. There, there are like the super ultra Orthodox religious Jews. And then there's just like, the people who live in Israel, Israelis, right. like, who are just like everybody else, right? And just want to live a good life. And like, they have that dichotomy even within their own culture of people who are like, this is God's promised land and ultra hard liners and people are like, man, we just want to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so. mm-hmm. But yeah, it seems to me that they are the ones coming out. They're the ones who want you to eat bugs. They're the ones who want you to take hormone blockers and become infertile. They're the ones pushing the brave new world. To me, that is... Alien is foreign. Foreign to me is exactly what I see going on in in the world. What feels familiar to me that, that I was telling you earlier about my ceremony was when I felt love, like it was foreign because I hadn't felt it, but it felt familiar. Like, like that's what I have always wanted. I just didn't know. I've learned that, no matter where I go, humans generally want the same thing. We want experience. We want family. We want love. We want joy. We want fulfillment. We want happiness. We want, we want memories. Everywhere I've ever went, that's what humans are looking for. So, And unless people have been totally beaten down and hardened by life, which I think is due to the, this alien shit, yep. They're open-hearted in giving and caring and loving too. So to me, what what is familiar is human nature is kindness, yes. is respect, is love, is honor, is morale, is giving, is wanting to help and to serve. Anything other than that is alien, is foreign. In my entire existence, when I leave my little bubble that we're in right now, feels foreign to me these days. And you talked about it, about how you felt in Costa Rica yeah, compared to how you feel now. Absolutely. And, I mean, fuck, why don't you go in that for a second? Yeah. Uh, I, I left the States, like, October 22nd or 23rd last year, and I didn't get back until the end of April of this year. So about six months I was gone. And four of those months I was at the retreat center and uh, where is the retreat center? It's in, it's a uh, outside a little town in uh, Costa Rica, Costa called, Rica. That's yeah, right. Tina Maste is just up the hill from Dominical, about 10 miles from the ocean up in the mountains. And uh, it, it's remote. It's out there in the middle of the jungle. Um, but in, in my day to day life, like I, I found myself living finally in a place of, I felt like alignment with nature like the sun came up at about 4.30, it started, the, the first light went off, the, the howler monkeys would get up, I'd get up with the monkeys, I'd go down to the river, I'd meditate, 
I'd have some quiet moments early in the morning. I'd do a yoga practice. I would start my morning chores, have breakfast. Like it just had energy. I felt good. I felt connected, like always outside. Like the only time I was ever inside was to go to bed. And then when I slept, my room was just basically a screened in, like framed building with screens and a corrugated metal roof and a bunk bed. That like, that was it. <laughs> that, was my, that was my dwellings. And I lived out of a backpack and I, and I used a, a composting toilet. Like I had cold shower. That was my running water. But I, like, I felt good. Like in, my body felt good. I have the, uh, a degenerative arthritis arthritic condition that really bothers me. I was having no issues there. Um, sleeping like a baby had energy, but being back in the States, man, the last couple of weeks, just tired, lethargic. can't get my thoughts together. My, my spiritual practices really honestly have been shit. Mm-hmm. Like I, I haven't, haven't been doing my meditations like I should, I, like really missing out on my journaling. And I can feel that. And, and I, I feel this just heaviness and the pain in my body's coming back with the arthritis. So like I was talking with you, is like, is this environmental? Is this EMF? Is it foods? Is it just, what is it? Because I physiologically don't feel good. And, and then also mentally, I don't feel as good as, as I did. What is that? Is that, coming from an idyllic setting back into this place, like there, there's some different factors I think about um, your family. Like you go to an experience like that and then you come home and everybody else expects you to be the same person you were when you left. Yeah. And you've done some ayahuasca experiences and like, and your, your wife has recently like experienced that. So it has at least some shared perspective, but can you imagine going through a year of that and, and 30 ceremonies and that becoming such a part of your life and then coming back and your wife and your kids and your friends and your family have no frame of reference, yep. like no engagement whatsoever on that. That's why I'm, I value our friendship because like finally someone to, yeah, talk, someone to, to talk to, someone to talk to, man. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I, dude, I can, I mean, I can't relate to that, yeah. but I can relate to a quarter of that even before Vanessa uh, went because I had, you know, done it nine or 10 times in, in nine or 10 times. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to talk about. But you can't talk about it with someone who hasn't done it because the frame of reference, they have no perception whatsoever. And so to do it fucking 30 times and come back home, I mean, you have like lifetimes of information to unpack in knowledge or not to unpack in knowledge, to, to unpack of knowledge. And then a lot of the integration for me comes from like verbalizing these thoughts and getting feedback. Yeah. I, it's hard to have those conversations. It's very hard. Has your wife done it at all? No. Okay. Yeah. And, and it doesn't interest. She's a very sober person. Yep. Doesn't drink. Like, <laughs> yeah, her, like her. every once in a while, I, I'll try to get her to like take a little gummy or something. Like it's, it's pulling teeth. Yep. Like, yep. Like, and so I, I wish I would say I wish, but that, that's one dimension of our relationship that I would like to develop more is like kind of that spiritual cap- capability. I mean, we've been married for almost 25 years. We started dating when we were 16. Wow. Been together for a long time. Congratulations. Um, so like you feel like you know each other through and through, but like like there's there's a dimension here that, that we don't connect on and I would like you to know, but like you can't know unless you see through. Mm-hmm. And But this, this is her, like I would never beg her to go and of course. do this like like <laughs> and and i wouldn't want her to go just because i asked her like like it would have to be her her calling to go and do it like what she did you know i yeah, didn't push her yeah. she told me for a year i will never ever do that and i believe here because she doesn't drink she doesn't smoke she doesn't 
she doesn't she's straight as an arrow and so to go from straight as an arrow i mean i can't even get her to take a gummy yeah to go and take the most powerful tea there is that yeah. there is uh it just seemed like outrageous and then the experience uh, speaks for itself exactly and so it's like don't count it out. No, <laughs> you know and what I, I mean. And, and I don't like I, the universe will come through when it when it does. Uh-huh. So between now and then, what what's there for me to understand? Like what's there for me to learn? Like why is it that I want my wife to experience this with me? Or like does she need to understand that? Like can this just be mine? Like th- there's all these like what ifs and, and what can be is that like you never think about it unless you just stop and and reflect. It's definitely like. Um so I haven't gone with Vanessa, but I want to go with her. I want us to go together because I feel like I feel like when you do a ceremony with another person, you connect on a level that you can't connect on just in the three just in this realm. Yeah. And so for me it's like because she's my wife and I love her so deeply, I want our connection to be as deep as I can possibly get it in this lifetime. And now that I learned that it can go deeper than just this realm, it's like, let's go make it deeper in this. Like we have the physical now let's go become, try to make union in the, in the spiritual realm. But that's not something, you know, it takes two to tango. Yeah. (laughs) It takes two to tango. And like she said, she has no interest in going back anytime soon. However, she did make a deal with mama, so she has to at some point. So she does, she knows that, yeah. but she's like, not right, not, not right now. nope, the calling yeah. will happen. And, and I think that's, that's the thing that, that verifies ayahuasca and most psychedelics as, as a legitimate medicine, because you're not wanting to take it all the time. It's not, it's not addictive and habit forming. Even if you have a good experience, like you could go another six months or a year before you do it again. Like yeah. it's not like you have to hit it and hit it again and hit it 10 times tonight. You can't, it doesn't yeah. work that it way. It doesn't. Uh, and it's weird that you kind of bring that up because on my first ceremony, when I thought it didn't do anything and then I went to integration and clearly it did something is soon. I had no interest in going back. Okay. It was like, I don't even know what I've, happened. I've had a couple trips like that. Hey, I was like, I ever have to do that again? No, I don't. I'm not doing that. And I don't even think anything happened. I just laid there and listened to a bunch of people bitch and moan is what was going on yeah, in my I head. I remember that podcast. Right? Yeah. And so I was like, huh, okay. I don't regret it. It wasn't like bad or anything. And then boom, the integration happens. I start fucking crying on this song, looking around. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And it was like right then and there. Once I kind of processed that, it was, I have to come back. But it wasn't, I have to come back because I want to do this drug again. It was, I have to learn something did happen. Yeah. Something did happen. And I thought it didn't. And it just hit right now. And I need to go and figure out what else I need to learn. And so I signed up right away. And I remember like for weeks, it was like, I I called it like the owl on Harry Potter where it would come in with the mail and just fucking <laughs> drop it. But it, it was going into my brain and I couldn't even like begin to even look at a piece of paper because it was just stacking on. And it, I remember telling Vanessa, like it's too much. It's too much information for my, like I can't sort it out. It's just fucking mayhem in yeah. there. Finally it, 
started to subdue and I was like getting these downloads, these pieces of information, these new thoughts. And I know they were new because I had never had them before. And I would think like, where are these coming from? And then I remember the, the, my shaman saying like, things will be happening after you leave this place. It's not over. And so I wanted to sign back up and then I go sign back up and I felt I needed to go again. And I needed to go again. And then I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm good. That's it. Yeah. And then it took me six months. I went again. I haven't been since last March. I'm going, I'm supposed to go in two weeks and down here. And then that will be probably the last time I go until I either go with you or her. Okay. Yeah. I, it's been a couple months for me, four months or so since, uh, middle of April, I think was about my last ceremony mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and not missing it at all right now. Like not feeling like, and yeah, there, there's so much to unpack when you do do ceremonies like that. Like even if it's just one, like uh, I know plenty of people who just went to like a retreat and went to like maybe two nights of ceremony or three nights of ceremony. And years later, it's still having profound impact on their lives. So, um, for me having so much so quickly in a short amount of time, very intensely, like sometimes it feels like a house of mirrors. Yeah. Like, like, like I'm going to say like you question the nature of reality, but, but what, what things are real and what, what things aren't. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's a lot of magic in this world, like real magic. People don't <laughs> believe in magic. Oh. And the thing is, is what it, what I always say is it doesn't matter whether you believe or not. Whether you believe the sky is blue or not is irrelevant. Yeah. There's certain things that are objective and su- certain things that are subjective. And I hate to break it to you, buddy, but magic is objective. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. It, and whether you want to call it like conjuring or, or manifestation or, or the universe working or karma or whatever right. it is, when you start, start to be aware that those things exist, you start seeing them. And mm-hmm. then as you start seeing them, you start like, okay, this is real. And then you can start interacting with that and influencing that. Like it, it's strange. It, it, there's, there's some kind of metaphysical reality that exists that once you start seeing the patterns, how the game is played and putting your intentions into that, that you can mold and bend things to, to work out in your, your way and, and not, not in a selfish way. And I think more, more than anything, it's your individual will is becoming more aligned with, with God's will, with, with the supreme will. And therefore, things seem to be easier with you because you're living right. You're living in accordance with nature. You're doing the right things. You're becoming conscious. You're, you're, you're doing the right things. You're meditating. You're eating healthy. You're exercising. You're taking care of your family. You're trying to live at a higher vibration of love. All of those things start compounding on each other. So, um, yeah, that's where I was going with that. No, no it's, it's good shit. I'm, I'm sitting here just listening, yeah. digesting it because it... Pfft. It's all true. It's all true. It, it seems like, uh, it just seems like, what are we going to do to, to fix the, the darkness in this place? Because it's one thing to take these medicines and find these, you know, peace in these spiritual realms and get, get all this new knowledge. And then to turn that knowledge into wisdom, like we talked about earlier. But how do we expand that? bubble further and further and further into our daily lives. It's the person in the mirror, man. 
<laughs> like you, you have to be the light. Like you have to choose, right? Love all, serve all, remember God, whatever mantra that you have to come up with. But the, the light's not going to come externally. It comes internally. Luke 17, 21 in the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is inside of you. It's in your heart, man. So you decide whether you live in heaven or hell. It's your decision. Yeah. And so I, I think the more you live, you live in accordance with, with good vibration, with high and, and high intentions and in the right way, life will become easier for you. It like, it might still be difficult. You might still struggle to put gas in the car and food on the table, but you're content in your spirit. Like you're, you're not struggling in your heart and you're, you're living in a, in a, in a place of love without fear. It's an, it's an abundance mindset and it sounds woo woo. And when you, when you live rough, like, yeah, like how do you have abundance mindset? But God has always seen you through everything you've come through. Like here you stand, like how many times in your life is like, difficult things happen and you've had sleepless nights and you didn't know how it was going to work out and you've been desperate and here you are, Mm -hmm. here you are. So like we always think of all of our failures over the course of our life, but how many times has it come through for you? How many times has it been successful? And even when things haven't turned out the way you wanted them in retrospect, can you look back and say, I'm glad it did turn out that way because it gave me these opportunities or it led me in this direction that, that I wasn't able to go for me. It was my dream of being a fighter pilot led me down a different road, which led me down a different road, which has brought me inexorably to here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, brought you to forest school. <laughs> forest school. <laughs> Come a long way, baby. So, yeah, it, and it's all part of the journey of your of the story, the role that you're in in life. And sometimes we don't have a lot of authority in, in writing our roles. We're given, we're, we're assigned a script, and and we have to kind of play out the cards that have been given to us. But still, you have the the opportunity to determine your attitude and, and your spirit within that. Like some of us have to have that job. We have to take care of that family member. We have to be involved in X, Y, or Z. There's no way out of it. That's just, that's our cards. <laughs> and so, but life isn't about having good cards all the time. It's about pay, playing bad cards. Well, like, like sometimes that's just the way it has to be. And so many people, especially these days with like social media, you know, even though we all know that, social media is a highlight reel of someone's life and we're all we all can kind of agree our subconscious is comparing yeah it's like it's like even though you're conscious of it your subconscious is still comparing and it's creating anxiety and depression because kind of like a jujitsu journey it's not about comparing yourself to other people's paths we're all different yeah you need to see where you're at and where you were and where you want to go and focus directly on that path but i think i think that because social media has made it to where people just constantly are comparing each other that it's like they're in a in a state of depression yeah they're the lack they don't have what somebody else has so they feel inadequate for it yeah yeah which is is the opposite because when you, when you say you need to keep a high vibration or like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, what, what does that mean? To to me that, that means contentedness. It means gratitude. It means like for me, a high vibration, like I'm, I'm joyful. I'm I'm happy. Like I'm, I'm grateful. The the birds are singing. The sun is up. I pop out of bed. Like I, I go throughout my life. I'm just 
it's spreading goodness, right? Like I'm not being a dick. <laughs> like that's what, that's what a high vibration is. It's not going around like just spreading problems to other people. And, and when it comes to happy, I think happiness is, is ultimately relatively easy to achieve. However, we want to be as happy or happier than other people. And we imagine other people to be far happier than they truly are. And it's a trap. It is a trap. It because is a trap. I, cre- I think that this is where I was going with what I was saying earlier about the social media creating depression, which is a trap that leads to a victim mentality. Yeah. I was, you know, my buddy Eli from jo- from winter of Joao was over here uh, doing a blacksmithing class yesterday. And we were talking about how, you know, where, where he said that I was inspiring because when he listened to all my podcasts and listened to what's happened to me and see where I'm at, he's like, I like to see a good success story. I feel like you're the fuck it. You're an underdog and, <laughs> and you're doing it. And I said, here's the deal, bro. You get two choices in this life. You can either be a victim or you can just have a solution-based mindset. And those are really your only two choices. And most of us, I don't care who you talk to, has had some type of trauma, bad shit happen to them in their lives by the time they're 30 years old. Something has happened. If not, then what I have found out is that those people are typically miserable on the inside because they've never even had to deal with adversity and life itself is adversity and they're constantly fighting it. So they are finding, they make the mountains out of moles where we look and it's like, bro, that's your problem. You don't even fucking know about problem, but it's comparison to what your own perspective is. Right. I said, so when you talk about, I have a big picture of my dad downstairs in the garage and we were in the garage and he goes, is that your pops? And I said, yeah. And he goes, man, he's a handsome man. He goes, you look like him. I said, thanks. And we started talking about just whatever. The fact that I'm going to be 35 and my dad killed himself when he was 40. I said, it's weird that I was a young boy when my dad killed himself. It was four days before my 16th birthday. I was going to get my driver's license and go drive over the mountain to see him. And that got ripped, ripped away. But I was young. I'm a 35-year-old man now. Now it's weird because in five years, I'm going to be as old as him. In my mind, like, there's something about it that's really weird. I said, and I can sit here and think of a million other things that have happened to me in my life of bad shit. And I can stew in it. And I can be a victim. Ultimately, this shit was out of my control, bro. Yeah. This was not up to me. This is something that I had, the cards that I was dealt. So for the rest of my life, I can bitch and moan. I can ask for sympathy and and sorrow and empathy. And I can cry wolf because that only, (laughs) that only works for so long. Yeah. When I was young, 15 years, you know, 20 years ago. Now it's not that people don't have empathy or sympathy or whatever, but I should be able to, to have conquered my story or at least be conquering my story and then sharing it and spreading it that is a solution-based mindset i take what happened to me and i can give it the knowledge and wisdom now and pass it on to other people i would not be the man i am today if my parents if my dad was here i guarantee you it's not possible because that's that it's just not your struggles make you so much more than your successes because then i had said and then my stepmom drank herself four years later i said so then there's another struggle 
to grow up with two younger brothers with zero parents since they were 12 and 15 years old. And my parents totally gone on the other side. Is it, am I a victim? I I don't know. I don't know if I'm a victim. All parents die sooner or later. Mine died when they were young. They did it to themselves. Is it fucked up? Yeah. Do I think it's the right thing? No. Not my path, not my soul, not my journey, <laughs> not my pig, not my farm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm not, it's not up to me. What I can do is say, no, it's taught me how to believe in myself. It's taught me how to teach myself how to do things that a normal child would have had a fucking dad to show them how to do, such as learn how to be a man. I take pride in people thinking that I'm a good, solid man. That feels good when somebody says that to you. It does. Yeah. If, if people think that Tyler is a fucking salt of the earth, solid motherfucker. I take pride in that because I, I did that. My dad didn't fucking, I mean, I have recollections and things, but I was talking to Eli about even, I remember feeling really sad or like inferior or kind of like low value when I was in my late teens, like around 16, 17, we had these cars and you know, you have shitty cars when you're a teenager and you got to work on them or you, you, you want to work on them. And I don't know how, I don't know how my mom didn't fucking show me how my stepdad and I didn't really get along. We didn't hang out very much. I remember just feeling like, man, I really wish my dad was here to show me. But then now at 35, I have a ton of skills that I've acquired that a lot of people don't know how to do and their dad never showed them how to do and the only reason i know how to do that is because i was like fuck dude i have to figure out how to be a man (laughs) i gotta do this at some point i'm gonna get a girlfriend or my own home like i'm gonna have to fix shit i'm aware that like i'm gonna have to 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 learn some stuff thank god for youtube bro Oh yeah, what a fantastic resource for dude! Like you, I got a PhD at YouTube University by now, bro. I've changed spark plugs, I've built walls, like I've done electrical and all kinds of work in my house because I watched a couple of videos. I'm like, that can be done. I can do that. Yes. Like, and, and and that success builds on itself. Like the more you do projects like that and like teach yourself a skill, like then the next thing that you, you come that can be completely totally unrelated becomes more accessible because you know the process. Like, yep. like I, I've gone through things like this before. I feel confident that I can figure this out. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And then you just start acquiring all of these skills and it's because of these things that happen in your life that make you, they, they give you a new angle or a new perception or they, they shine a light on something that you weren't. I mean, I can imagine for you, you always, you say you always wanted to be a fighter jet pilot always, and you were a fighter jet pilot. And then something terrible happened that was essentially out of your fucking control. And because of that, what angles and perceptions changed that allowed you to acquire whatever skills and knowledge you have right now? Yeah, absolutely. Your belief in yourself, your, well, I was a fighter jet and I fucking flew, so I can do this. You know, it's like, if I can get through the sorrow of, for me, heartbreak was a really big deal from a girl because heartbreak was the same feeling as death. And so I never really fell in love till after my dad and when my first heartbreak happened it was it felt like 
it felt like a, uh, I don't know, how do I explain it? Like a trigger. Like a death, like something's it, taken away from you. It was, a, yeah, and like yeah. I knew what that consisted of. I never thought of that angle, but when you said that, it immediately made sense. It was like a death to me. Yeah. And it was, it, I shouldn't say it was worse. I was going to say it's worse. It's not worse, okay? I remember thinking like, feeling it was worse because this person's still alive walking the earth. Yeah, I would feel that it was worse because now they don't want to love you. Like if, if dad dies and you know he loves you, like see you in the next life. But like this person loved me and now they don't. Yeah. And they're still here. Yeah. And they, they did, found someone else. They just chose. They love more, love right? Yeah. And I remember just hard. laying there feeling so rejected and just, and I look back at these things. And even though it was terrible at that time, this is where you're coming in with the hindsight 2020. Yeah. Because of those things. The, the light that got shined on to certain things, it was like, boom, now we got to level up. What is it that, that I'm doing wrong? I remember even thinking like, <clears throat> what is this person, you know, more fit? Does he make more money? Yeah. And those were all, those were all things. They don't truly matter, but it's the whole champion mindset thing, yep. right? What, have you heard that saying of, and I'm going to totally butcher this, but it's like, <clears throat> if you... If you dress like a champion, you walk like a champion, you act like a champion, you'll become a champion type thing. Okay. It's essentially like fake it till you make it, but you need to play the part. So if you want to get good at podcasting, you fucking start podcasting <laughs> as if you've been doing it, even though it sucks. Yeah. You get all the shit, you go to fucking Anchor, Spotify, and you do exactly what I did. And then over a period of time, it's like, oh, that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Just like anything. Just do it. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Nike. Just, just do it. Just do it. Just like your four school, man. Just start, man. Let's see where it takes you. That's, <clears throat> you know, four school is, is something that I think is going to be a good solution to one of their problem reaction solutions of the, the dystopian nightmare we have going on about what human biology is the things that we're taught in school, the perversion, the LGBT, the false history, the made-up, blatant lies about racism and all this shit, the disconnect from Mother Earth. Yeah. Kids thrive out in that forest. Any forest. I thrive in the jungle in the forest. <laughs> like Humans I feel better. Thrive well, in the forest. Yeah, get yourself barefoot out connected with nature, man. So yeah, forest school is uh that's one of the, that's that's my solution for now towards the education system. The herbs that we have growing, like I was saying before, that's my solution for the med the, the medical system. I'm not going to the doctor. Yep. I don't go to the doctor. I don't trust the fucking doctor. Um, <clears throat> what is the big conspiracy that you're been tossing around in your head right now? The big one. Well, I mean, it, I guess it doesn't even have to be, it doesn't even necessarily need to be the conspiracy. It could be. What's coming or what, what's yeah, happening. Yeah. Like, what do you think? Okay. Let's bring up elections. Yeah. What do you think's gonna happen? What do you think's gonna happen between now and elections? Chaos. Chaos. I, I think c coming into next summer, it's gonna. There's 
necessarily going to be something that's going to be on orders of magnitude chaotic. Um, the political scene is going to be what it is and people are going to play their sides and I think it's going to be a fever pitch. So I think it'll be big, whatever it is. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think not necessarily conspiracy, but what I see coming, hopefully God willing is, is the great awakening I, that people are going to start seeing that we've been played. The media is playing us. The, the academia is playing us. And, and once you, you can look at your government and go, these guys don't represent me anymore. And, and no, I, we're not subject to that anymore. The legitimacy of the government begins to collapse. And I don't know if they're doing that by design or people are just kind of naturally coming to that, but I'm fully there. And, yeah. and I think there's a lot of other people are there. And I think the more ridiculous it becomes, the more crime ridden and scandaled and senile old people of either party corrupt running, running the world. Like people are done with that. And so as people turn that off, what do they look for? Do they look for another political solution or do they start looking for the spiritual solution? Do they start looking for for the return to, to earth, to heart, to family, to simplicity, truth, love, like those things. I mean, how much more can we consume? How much more till we are satisfied in this materialist world? Like, what else could we want? Like, the average American living in the suburbs right now, what else do you fucking need? Do you think that they, <laughs> do, yeah, do you think that they, they don't know, like they, they have no frame of reference? I think people don't know any different. They've been taught to consume and to believe what, what the media tells them and what the government tells them and not to question. And life gets comfortable and you have good food and you get your vacation and you drive a nice car and you think you're, you're comparing yourself to your neighbors and you think you're doing good and you wake up sometime and you're, 30s or your 40s and you realize you're fucking miserable and what am I doing in life and none of this stuff is making sense but do I stick my head in the sand and go back to to living in the illusion or do I make a, the world a better place do I do I start taking ownership and stop being the victim and start saying well the world is crazy man there's all kinds of stuff going on but how can I make it different or what can I, I do differently to make it different for myself if not for everybody else and I've feel like I'm kind of finding that solution by, by being able to disappear to Central America for months at a time and, yeah. and, uh, and do things like that. So th there are different ways of living. Um, and if you don't have a lot of wants, then you truly become wealthy. Like that's like the, the fewer things I have, the freer I become. So one of the things while you're saying that, that came to mind is something that we talked about downstairs do you feel that this new for you, this awakening, this has has manifested into something way bigger since you first started using plants as a healing? Or did you feel this way? You, you mentioned you were drinking quite a bit when you were a police officer. Yeah. Did you feel, did you, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I talk to you, you're one of my friends who I, I find to be very open-minded, very intelligent, whether... I, whatever your your got at the universities is one thing. You're just your intellect as a as a soul <laughs> is what I'm talking okay. about. <clears throat> and so, have you always been that way? I mean, I, I am sure you've always been that way. But when you were drinking a lot, were you in this same state of mind? No, I, my drinking was was purely to hide. Like I, I'm trying to sleep at night and I have nightmares and. 
deal with the physiological pain and everything. So like pure escape escapism, okay. just, just something to, to stop being me. Whereas the psychedelic journey has, it's not about escapism. It's about finding, it's about learning and, and facing those shadows and, and not trying to be obliterated, but trying to become complete, <laughs> like the absolute opposite of, of alcohol. And the alcohol has, you know, we talk about vibrations and, and if you're not on that train, it's tough to, tough to, to understand that. But if you, if you know, like alcohol has a low vibration when you take it, like you might, like for years, I used to think I was going out and partying, like with pilots drink a lot, believe it or not. <laughs> Marines drink a lot, believe it or yeah, not. Right? So, so being in the infantry and the Corps and then flying jets and being in those communities, like, like we tied on parties, man, like, epic nights of, of alcohol drinking, right? But it's low vibration. Like you do stupid shit, you say things you regret, you act like an asshole. Like there, there are all kinds of negative things that come along with drinking too much. Um, but with weed or, or the other plant medicines, like I, I don't see the same consequences. I don't see the same behaviors. Like when I smoke weed, like I, I feel very caring towards others. I feel very relaxed. I feel like, hey man, like, you didn't mean that. Like when you drink alcohol, somebody bumps into you. They wanted to fight you. Yeah. You're smoking weed and somebody bumps into you like, Oh, sorry, bro. Hey, you want to hit? Yeah, Yeah. man, I'm good. Like different vibration, man. I would much rather live in the world that that's that happy vibration. So I I did not, I did not have that 10 years ago. And I, that's where I'm getting at is I think a lot of people, dude, so many people drink alcohol to try and hang out with friends or anyone I know. Let's get together and, for a beer, buddy. And not drink alcohol is, like, absurd. What I have found is that alcohol, this is through my own observation, alcohol constricts the mind. It constricts the consciousness. It closes it. It capsules it. And it be, makes you narrow-minded and close-minded and, like, horse blinders on even when you're not drinking, like just people who drink all the time, yeah. even when they're not drunk, they're in this closed, like, I swear it constricts consciousness. Whereas these plants are expanding consciousness. They're opening you up. They're, they're doing something. They're doing something to allow like you to grasp things on a larger scale contemplate new ideas to have different thoughts whereas and it's usually like positive things it's creative it's inventive it's like whoa where is this coming from things that's like you never thought of before just randomly pop into your head whereas the drinking it's anger angriness it's bitterness it's enviness it's jealousy it's frustration it's irritation it's the low vibration shit. Low vibration. And so as someone who was drinking a lot, being miserable as a police officer, someone who's talking about we need to find love and spirituality and connection to Mother Earth and and open our heart and and find the spirituality that isn't existing in the in in our physical day-to-day lives. <clears throat> I think personally has a huge part and not the only part, but it has a huge part of inhibiting the inhibiting the ability to take closed-minded shit. 
whether it's TV, whether it's alcohol, yeah, whether it's, it's hard, fucking hard to watch TV. Like it, it's it's hard to do any of the things I used to do anymore. Like and still find enjoyment. Like it's like ugh. it feels it feels off. Like like a sports game. Like it, as much as I love sports, man, I, it's I can't sit down and watch a game anymore. It's been that way for years. It's same thing with movies. Like it's tough to sit through and watch something, and and be in, be in that. Do do you feel that any of them? One of one of the hard reasons why I don't watch that stuff anymore and why I have a hard time is uh, like I talked about, why are all these people, athletes, celebrities, um, politicians, these alien people I talk about, why are they all part of this like fucking pedophile ring club and all this stuff? Yeah, it makes you wonder. It, it makes me wonder. And if all of that stuff is true, then I don't want to support that. Even if they are a good actor, I don't. I don't care how good of an actor are. If you're doing bad, evil shit, I don't want to support it. I don't want to play the game at all. Even if I pay to watch the movie because it's a good movie. Yeah. But I don't like you personally. Um, Johnny Depp is one that I always liked. I liked Blow. I liked Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I liked these movies, and then I find some crazy shit about him. And it, if it just so happens to be true, I would rather not watch him. And it happens to not be true. Yeah. Then be continually watching him, and it turns out to be true. Yeah. Just because of my own moral, I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm telling you not to go to see movies. I went and seen the Element movie with my kids, just to let you guys know. Full disclosure. <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> but um, a huge reason for me is that I, I think at the highest level of all this conspiracy. Sh- theory shit is some type of evil harvesting of energy off of some pubescent children in a ritualistic parasitic way it's the only thing that i can come up with of why this would be such a big thing you've seen the sound of freedom correct yeah i haven't seen it yet did you feel like it it, it did you feel like for an average person are they going to be able to leave and not at least question some things? I I think they, they will. I mean, I, I don't think anybody in the world doesn't think that human trafficking doesn't exist. I, I'm sure a lot of pre- people probably say that the problem isn't as big as it is. Try to sweep it under the rug. Um, but like, this isn't conspiracy fever dream. Like Jeffrey Epstein had an island that rich elite people from around the world came from kings, queens, media royalty, sports stars, academia, government, politics, finance. They all came to that island and they all raped children. Yeah. Where are the prosecutions? Where where are all those people? So if you, th- you think there was just that one island, just that one, that was it? Mm-hmm. So there's more. So who has access to this kind of stuff? And you mean to tell me people who can afford to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars and have private jets. Like people in government don't have track on that. They don't know where that what's happening. They know they absolutely fucking know. And they're all in the club. That's why the list hasn't been released. That's why no one knows Epstein's clients and uh, Maxwell's client list because they're running the show. They're in charge of the FBI. They're in charge of your government. So if you still want to be a good American citizen and obey your government, just know that they, they ran cover for Epstein for years and they're still doing it. Yeah, and you see, like, the highest the highest ranking people that, that you can think of are there. 
over and they and go over to these Bilderbergs and they one go offs to, either. They yeah. go repeatedly. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know when you see, oh, dude, the Pope and the royal family are like when I see things that they do, it's just like man, are these real? Are these like are we really the same? No, no, we're not. There, there's diverging branches of reality and <laughs> right? Like, we can't be the same. Speaking of Epstein Island, you know, do you know that the these people, they, the aliens, whatever they are, bad people, bad guys, do you know that they, like, mock us? Yeah. Okay? Well, they, they call us goyim, which is cattle. They mock us, and they fucking laugh at us, and they, and, and one of the things that I... I've known about for a while is if you look up SpongeBob's address, it's like one, two, three, four bikini bottom Conquay or some shit yeah. is the same address. SpongeBob's address is the same as Epstein Island address. Yeah. Same. Bikini bottom. Yeah. Bikini bottom. Strange. Strange, right? Yeah. How could that, there's no, like to me, there's no fucking way that could be a, just a coincidence. Or uh, in uh the first matrix, uh, what's his name? Uh, Neo's ID card says like September 11th, 2000, something like, like, like before September 11th happened. Okay. Like, like all it's been predicted in movies. Like all that shit is out there. Like the predictive program, predictive programming, the numbers, the signs, the numerology, the gematria, like all, all of those things. Like, like it's a big spider web. It <laughs> is. It all starts to tie together. It is. And that, that's, that's what I'm hoping this podcast ended up doing. And obviously I know that most people aren't going to be able to just listen to every single podcast, no. but hopefully I can at least connect some dots because what I find is it doesn't matter what road you go down, go down as many rabbit holes as you want. They all lead to the same fucking tunnel. Yeah. It, it's, it's like kind of like with religion that my metaphor is like, there's many routes, but one summit, right? Depending on what side of the mountain you, you're starting at, this is the perspective, the face that you have to climb. But when you get there, the same realization is going to happen to you. So it's the same thing. So yeah, it's, it's the same path. Cool. What time is it? Uh, it is 3.15. Okay. So we got five minutes. All right. Okay. Five minutes. And then I got to go to jujitsu. Speaking of that, for the five minutes, let's talk about jujitsu real let's quick. Let's talk about jujitsu. Okay. So you train jujitsu. I do. Okay. How old are you, Chris? I'm 45. 45. How long have you been training now? Uh, my first class in a gi, I was 20 years old in uh, Trident Academy in uh, Virginia. It was a purple belt Navy SEAL was teaching it. Okay. And so I started there and then uh, I probably have four years of consistent training yep. broken into a year here, yep. six months here, another eight months here, and either between moves and injury and stuff over all the years. Like I've trained on and off with friends. I've trained in like garage dojos and stuff. I've trained at a school for a couple of months. So I've never been at one place consistently enough like to really advance my game. Right. No, that, but yeah, that's that's been my journey. That's good. So far. Well, <laughs> well, you're what three stripe? A three stripe white belt. Three stripe. Okay, so three stripe a white 20 belt. Twenty year three stripe white belt. Yeah, which is <laughs> <laughs> still though like a three stripe white belt, especially with twenty years, is actually like you know mid level blue belt pretty much. I watched you move just to like your your the way that you shot. You recently wrestled a seven time world champion. Yeah. Right. We had that that. Um, little event where Joao came up and, and wrestled 50 white belts and you partook in that. Yep. And that was the first time I got to see, and I can just see like, okay, clearly you've done this 
you've done this before. Yeah. I, what was <clears> funny, I was, I was talking about it earlier, like how fast he was able to shut me down because my, my one trick, my one game is, is a lasso and a spider guard. Mm -hmm. and, and I can usually set that up even on, on like, like purple and brown belts. I can usually get a bite in there and get a sleeve and get, get that spider grip going. Especially it, with your long legs, you can yeah, really yeah. stretch them out. I, I'm six foot six, about 220 pounds and about 8% body fat and super flexible. Yeah. So like I, I can be stacked, I can be rolled and I can really get you stretched out. And like, as soon as I grabbed his sleeve and started pulling my knee up to go there, he was instantly stuffing my knee. I didn't even have a chance. It was like real time, <laughs> like how fast he was countering that. And it's, it was my go-to move, man. I didn't even get a chance to set it up. Fuck. So um, where do you train at? Uh, the last place I was training consistently was um, with uh, Ken DeMille down in Auburn, and he's moved schools over to Federal Way. Another buddy of mine, Leo Porras, is about to open up a jiu-jitsu school in Auburn. Okay. And so uh, another buddy of mine, Tyler Christian, uh, trains there. And so hopefully once Leo gets his school opened here in the next month or two, I can start rolling again on a consistent basis. Yeah. Body permitting. Yeah. Body permitting. It's always so brutal. It's hard on the body. <laughs> it's it's, hard, on the <laughs> it's body. hard on the body, but it's yeah. great for the mind. It is. Um, okay. So before we get out of here, why don't you give, um, why don't you give one reason of why people should consider training jujitsu? Why should you train jujitsu? It's a never ending journey. Like they're, they're just like with life. There's always something to learn. And one of the biggest things you learn is humility. And why is that? Why jujitsu over karate or taekwondo or kung fu or anything like that? Because it's real deal. Like my son, like he started training uh, karate when he was five and I wanted him to always have a martial art in his life and, and do a traditional art just to stick with it. And he recently earned his black belt last summer, been training for 12 years in karate, in karate, right. And, you know, three times a week for 12 years, the kid, kids earned it. Yeah. But like he knows that, that, that is not like a combat black belt. It's an, it's a martial art. Art. right and he knows like the power of jiu-jitsu because we roll together right? okay so like there's no bullshit in jiu-jitsu or wrestling or like muay thai yeah like, you have to put hands on somebody and that when i said i think the, one of the best lessons in life is humility jiu-jitsu will give you fucking humility like nothing else <laughs> <laughs> like nothing that, else like that's the first lesson yeah but it's the most powerful one because it's truly once you you, you accept with true humility that you can become a student eventually become a master but that that goes through anything in life and it's a fucking grind and it hurts and i'm 20 years in and still got three stripes on my white belt so yeah yeah <laughs> kind of, i'm still at it dude that and you haven't given up and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter even if you ever get to the, there isn't an end destination yeah. because most people's like oh i want to get a black belt okay but the thing is is when you had the brown belt right before that and then he takes your belt off and puts a black belt on what nothing changed. changed nothing changed nothing changed and now you're essentially a student because now if you get a black belt around your waist and you go to a competition you get to go against joao and bushesha they're black belts they've been black belts for 15 years at the you, highest level you are a white belt black belt. yeah yeah exactly you're a white belt black belt it's like the beginning of your the, the journey the journey that's where it starts yep like like congratulations, you know jujitsu. Here's your black belt. Now it starts. Yeah. Right? Now like, you go out into the real world. Yeah. It's like an apprenticeship of yeah. of okay, you're a journeyman. Yeah. 
Now you're going to go work. You're that, not in school. That's what I love. Like what Greg always talks about, like always a white belt mentality. Like yeah. Always approaching things like I'm, I'm brand new because there is somebody who's bigger, badder, and better than me. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Cool. Okay. Well, guys, I hope you liked that. We were kind of all over the place, but I hope there was some, some gems, some yeah. gold nuggets for you guys to pick up in there. Make sure that if you have any children around and you want them to come to forest school, we are set up now. You can find us online. I'll, I'll link the website below. What we do is we bushcraft. We learn how to homestead. We feed animals. We make medicine. We make food. We do campfires. We make, uh, we have an obstacle course. We're going to play, you know, we'll get some, physical activity in some recess some knowledge some wisdom we'll learn about depending on the children but even about electroculture hygge cultures we'll learn about you know the microbiome of soil heirloom seeds heirloom seeds learn about all all essentially anything that comes with nature you'll you can find that here at the compassionate viking forest school and thanks to chris uh we're set up we're gonna have class in the morning Fantastic. So, yeah, I love you guys. And Chris will be back. He's going to become a regular. See you again. So, till next week, guys. Later. Later. Later.